Hey, Icon, good to be with you today. Uh, and I want to get one thing out of the way before we get started. So this week, um, I, I have this habit of pacing when I'm on a phone call. Okay, and I do it everywhere I am. So I go on walks and I go, and if I'm in my office, I'm walking around. And one of the things I do that's kind of dumb is that if there's a pattern on the floor, I basically just pace in a pattern. So I'm stepping in the triangles, you know, don't step on a crack, break your mother's back, that kind of thing. And so I was on a phone call this week in my basement, okay? And uh, my basement has a rug that has these triangles on it. And so I was just kind of walking around and around, stepping in these triangles, uh, not even paying attention on the phone. And I also, one thing you need to know about my basement, if you've not been in my basement, that sounds weird, is that uh, there is a heating duct that's low. And, and for most people, not a big deal. Paolo's in there, he's doing jumping jacks, no big deal, right? But for me, someone's a little bigger, a little bigger, bigger fella, uh, it's a problem. And so I was walking on these uh, triangles on the call, not thinking about it. And I took uh, a little bit of a leap, you know, a little gentle leap onto the last triangle, not seeing how close I was to the heating duct and gash in the top of the head. So now I'm that old guy who's just got blood on his head. And, uh, you know, you wonder like, does he know what happened? I remember my dad and my grandpa being like having cuts on the top of their head and they're both bald like me. And so it just shows, right? And thinking, do they know they're bleeding from their head? So the answer is yes, I do know that I've got a cut on my head. So every time I go to the Bible and read, you're going to see that cut and you're going to think, oh my gosh. Justin's an idiot, and it's true. Okay, so we're just gonna jump in. I just wanted to start there so y'all know what's going on and you're not concerned about my head texting me while I'm preaching, okay? Uh, we are in John chapter 10. Uh, it's a very famous passage in John. Uh, Jesus picks up one of his kind of primary metaphors, or at least a metaphor about himself that has become uh, really closely identified with him. And it's a, it's, it's kind of an interestingly simple passage, and it's a really simple message. So this is not super complicated. Jesus is going to tell us that he is the good shepherd. Right. This is this is the metaphor he's going to use to describe himself. And, you know, we don't have a lot of shepherds in our life anymore. But this was an attempt on Jesus's part coming right out of this last passage. Right. So last week, Jesus heals the blind man. And the, the kind of the question that he's asking the Pharisees and all of his followers is, can you see or are you blind? Right. And at the end, we kind of see like, well, the religious leaders were pretty blind. And so um, after asking, can you see me? He's now kind of asking, can you hear me? Okay. And, and the whole idea here is that he is the good shepherd and that the sheep, his sheep will know and recognize his voice. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through John chapter 10. And at the same time, we're going to look at Psalm 23, because pretty much any time someone in the New Testament is talking about being a shepherd, at least somewhere in the backs of their minds and in their hearers' minds uh, is Psalm 23, which is the most one of the most famous uh, Old Testament passages, one of the most famous Psalms, and it's all about shepherds, right? So we're going to do that. We're going to do John 10 and Psalm 23 kind of in tandem with one another, and you'll see how it goes. So John chapter 10, starting in verse one, this is flowing right out of the last story. Jesus says again, truly, truly, I say to you, which is just one of the ways he goes, Hey, listen up, 
Listen to what I'm trying to say to you right now. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, this may seem like a total non sequitur to us, and it might have, in fact, to them. But this, this culture that Jesus is speaking to has a lot of context for shepherds and sheep. Probably somebody's uncle in the crowd is a shepherd. They go, okay, yeah, I remember Uncle Steve and he's, he, he's a shepherd. I, I've visited the ranch, you know, like they have context for this. So as much as this seems like well, Jesus is, is healing a blind man and all of a sudden he's talking about somebody climbing in over the wall into the sheepfold, like what is he talking about? Um, I, I want us to try to enter into the story and realize like this is really really common. This is like Jesus going like, hey, it, the, the, the guy who enters in through the back door of the business, probably not the business owner, right? The business owner walks in right through the front door, has the keys, opens up, turns on the light. If you see someone sneaking in the back door, like with a ski mask, be suspicious, right? Like that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. And so let's try to follow like they would have followed his story. Verse two, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. This is how you know. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay, so this is great. Jesus is trying to connect to these people. He uses an illustration that he thinks, oh, they're going to get this. They all have shepherds and sheep. And so he's laying it out like, you know, the thief comes in over the wall and the, the shepherd comes in the front door and the gatekeeper and he's weaving this metaphor for the people. And I just picture at the end being like, get it? And John's like, nobody got it, right? Like narrator over the top. Nobody understood him, okay? So he's going to explain it here in a moment. But for our sake, we can understand this a little bit. Now, if you've been in church uh, for any amount of time, you've probably heard a pastor tell you about what Middle Eastern shepherds, how they're different from, you know, Western shepherds and all this, and you probably get it all. But I'm going to do it anyway, because uh, some of y'all are new and you don't know this story. So N.T. Wright in his commentary describes it this way. It says, to this day in the Middle East, a shepherd will go into a crowded sheepfold and call out his own sheep one by one, naming them. They will recognize his voice. And I, I'm sorry, I got to stop there because like, what do you name sheep, right? Like, is it, you know, sheepy and fluffy and like, you know, like stripey, you know, like how creative do they get? Is there a John? Is there a Carlos? Like, I don't know. How do you name a sheep? It's, it's, it's one of the life's real, real questions. <laughs> all right. It says, they will recognize his voice and come to him. The shepherd, after all, spends most hours of most days in the company of the sheep. Sounds like a great dude. He knows their individual characters, markings, likes, and dislikes. What's more, they know him. They know his voice. Someone else can come to the sheepfold and they won't go near him, even if he calls the right names. They are listening for the one voice that matters, the voice they trust. When they hear it, he won't need a sheepdog to keep them in order. He won't walk behind them, driving them on. He will walk ahead, calling them, and they will 
follow him. So I don't know if Wright's like throwing shade at Western shepherds who need sheep dogs to get the sheep moving in the right direction. He's like, well, I mean, these Middle Eastern guys, they just got a voice and I don't know, they don't need a sheep dog. It's like, I don't know if that's like sh shepherd shade or something like that. If that's a thing, if there's shepherd Twitter and that's, a, I don't know, I'm getting too far into this, but here's the thing. The picture that Jesus is giving us is that a shepherd can walk into a sheepfold, call his own sheep by name, walk out, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice and they trust him. They know where the shepherd's going to lead. He's become trustworthy and followable to the sheep, right? So where does he lead them? Well, for the sheep, it's probably to water, to some good grazing areas, possibly if that's what they eat. What, wherever it is that the sheep want, the shepherd knows that, he knows what they need, and they've learned to trust him that like, yeah, if we follow this guy, then he leads us to the water and the food, and we like that. And he protects us, which we'll talk about here in a moment. But they're, they're willing to follow him because of where he leads. He's become trustworthy. Okay, so Psalm 23 tells us where the good shepherd leads us. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. It's probably near the middle. Psalm, if you're new to the Bible, Psalm starts with a silent P. It's tricky that way. Uh, so Psalm chapter 23, starting in verse 1, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So two things that Psalm 23 tells us about where the shepherd leads us. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in two ways. One, to restoration, right? Leads us to restoration. It says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That there's this sense of like the, the, the good shepherd leads us to a place where our souls can be restored, where our bodies can be restored, where our minds can be restored, a place of peace, a place of rest, a place of calm where we can just be renewed and restored in the presence of God. Right? Like this, this sounds really great. Like still waters and green pastures. It sounds serene and quiet and peaceful. And I want to go to there, right? Like that's, that's the promise of the shepherd that he's going to lead us to places that restore us. Secondly, says that he will lead us to righteousness, right? That's the, the end there of verse three. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, that the way that he is going to go, that we would follow in his footsteps would lead us towards all things that are good and pure and right, right? Like he's not gonna lead us astray into sin. He's not gonna lead us into rebellion. He's not gonna lead us into the dark places in this world, but he's gonna keep us on the path of righteousness, the path that leads to light. And that that in and of itself will restore our soul because what breaks down our soul, what gives us stress and anxiety, what leads us into darkness is that sin that undermines the goodness of God and creates sin and anxiety or creates anxiety and stress within us. 
So Jesus' promise here as the Good Shepherd is to lead us into restoration and to lead us into righteousness. Now, what, what I want us to notice a little bit is what, what he's not leading us, what he's not promising to lead us into that we might actually be trying to find, right? So the, the big question when you're ever you're following a leader is where are we going, right? There's two big questions. Where are we going and do I think that leader can get me there? And so for, for the sheep, as they look to the shepherd, they're going, I want food and drink. And this guy got me there yesterday, so I'm going to follow him again today, right? He's proven trustworthy to lead me where I need to go. So now Jesus, in, through Psalm 23, tells us he's going to lead us to restoration and to righteousness. And so my question to you is, is that where you want to go? Because see, there's no mention of success. There's no mention of wealth, there's no mention of power, there's no mention of safety, there's no mention of security, there's no mention of a lot of things that I see us and I see myself running after. So the question is, like, do you want to go where this leader is going to lead you? He promises restoration and righteousness. I wonder if in the moments when we don't follow Jesus, but follow other leaders or follow other things, it's not because we don't trust Jesus per se. We don't, it's not that we don't trust his character. We just are not sure we want where he's going. We don't want to be where he's going. We don't want to have what he's offering. He offers restoration and righteousness. We want success, wealth, power, security, safety, or pleasure. So the question is, like, if that's the end game, if, if you know, like Jesus is going, hey, uh, all aboard for the train to restoration and righteousness, who's getting on board? 26 times in the Gospels, Jesus tells people, follow me. This may, may be like kind of the, the core uh, call to action of Jesus in the Gospels is follow me. Now you know where he's leading. So one, is that where you want to go? And two, do you trust he can get you there? If actually still waters and green pastures, if real restoration and actual righteousness, if that, that's appealing to you, do you believe Jesus can get you there? That for me seems like the easy part, right? Like it, it, when, when I've got my head on straight and I go, yeah, what I need is peace and restoration. I need my soul to be restored and I want to walk the path of righteousness. Jesus is the easy answer. Of course, I'm following Jesus. There's nobody else who I would trust to lead me to those things. But too often, what I actually want is pleasure or success or wealth or fame or prosperity. And Jesus goes, yeah, maybe, you know, sometimes you will walk in those things on the path to restoration and righteousness, but oftentimes you will not. So if what you want as an end game is, is success and wealth and prosperity and pleasure, then man, that's a, that's a different path. Or if we kind of pass through those times on the path to restoration and righteousness, you're just going to stop and try to soak up as much of those things as possible while Jesus continues to lead us forward into what matters more. It strikes me that in verse 1 of Psalm 23, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, and as a result, the, the implication, as a result, I shall not want. I have no other desires. When the Lord is my shepherd, and, and he actually leads me into restoration and righteousness, there's, there's really nothing else that I need. When I can kind of have my head on straight and see truly 
that restoration and righteousness is what I need. When my heart is not being kind of pulled into these other things, man, there is no one and nothing else that I would want. And I just, I would challenge you as I challenge myself to ask, is there any other leader that can make that claim? That when I'm following them or following this thing, that there's no other desire that I have. I have no other want. So that's one. Uh, Jesus leads his sheep. Go back to John chapter 10, verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So now not only is he the good shepherd, but he's also the door. He's playing a lot of roles uh, in this play. Uh, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Okay, so we've got a couple of new characters here in this illustration. First, the thief and the wolf are kind of the same guy, right? Like, you gotta, you gotta kind of go meta here, right? Like, Jesus is kind of playing with the metaphor, and the thief that comes in, the robber that comes in, and the wolf that comes in, they're basically accomplishing the same thing. And, and as we try to, like, put kind of connect dots between characters in real life. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of things you might think of like, Oh, these are wolves and these are thieves and, you know, politicians or this kind of person or that kind of leader or this kind of relationship, whatever. And I I don't want us to miss the biggest, the biggest thief, the biggest wolf in the whole picture, Satan, right? Like it, it, it's, it's easy in our kind of modern world to overlook the, the kind of the big E on the eye chart here and try to look for people that are representing uh, uh, the thief or the wolf. And I would just say, listen, behind all of that, no, no doubt there are thieves and wolves. There are people who are trying to kill you and destroy you and steal from you. As Jesus says here, the number one person who's trying to do that is Satan. The devil, Lucifer himself, that's who's behind it all. And, and I know that gets a little uncomfortable for us in our little modern world here to talk about the spiritual realities, but behind every idol is Satan who is simply using that idol to tempt us. Behind every destructive person or relationship or leader is Satan using them simply as a pawn to steal, kill, and destroy you. Okay, so let's recognize and name out loud without hesitation, without obscuring it to, you know, make it a little mushy that Satan's just kind of this mythological idea or it's the form of evil. No, Satan, we believe, is a person trying to kill you, destroy you, steal life from you. And that spiritual reality is what stands behind every other evil in this world. So let's not miss that. Let's understand who the real enemy is. 
Because then as this illustration plays out, Jesus is going, listen, there is real evil in the world and it's really trying to steal, kill, and destroy you. Um, and so the question then is, who will you look to for protection? And he goes, the first person is a hired hand. And there's lots of hired hands in our world who will claim to protect us. So uh, uh, when we were talking about this at the staff level, we were talking about, well, who's the thief and the wolf and, and who's the hired hand? A lot of the thief and wolf ideas were like politicians, business leaders, all this. And I'm going, no, no, no. Those are the hired hands because listen to what they do. They claim to be able to protect you. They claim to be able to provide for you. They claim to be the only one who really has your back. They claim to be the only one that if you give them your loyalty, they can keep the evil at bay. This is literally all of politics, right? Like if you, if you entrust your vote to me, everything will be fine and we'll keep those other people away. But if you vote for them, then the evil rushes in and there's nothing we can do to stop it. Literally, I am what stands between you and the evil of the left or the evil of the right. Pick your side. They all say the same thing. That's a hired hand. They're not there for you because the moment they don't need you, you're not with them. The moment their life is in danger, they forget about you, the sheep, altogether. Okay, so when we think about hired hands, we got to think to ourselves, like, who is claiming to be able to protect us from the real evil? Who is claiming to be able to protect us either by making us uh, secure and safe because of their power or they are trying to sell us some product or some idea or some service that can then keep whatever evil we've identified at bay. Maybe not this vision of pure evil, but the evil of poverty, the evil of aging, the, a the evil of irrelevance, whatever thing that we are most afraid of that these people are going, I can solve that for you. I can solve that problem. Whatever you're afraid of, whatever you hate, whatever you don't want, I can solve it. Lean on me, trust in me, and I'll take care of it. Jesus goes, those are hired hands. They're not actually there for you. And when the wolf comes, when the real danger comes, they will turn on you and they will run. Because see, they only have to run as fast as the slowest sheep. They only have, they only have to be, they only have to get out of there quick enough that the evil one, that the thief or the wolf eats you and not them. That's a hired hand. Someone who's actually just in it for themselves and they're using you to prop themselves up to give themselves power, position, or notoriety or whatever. Okay. Jesus goes, there's a third person that is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We're going to get into that here in a moment. The, the good shepherd protects the sheep from the wolf. When, when the moment comes that, that real pain, real suffering is, is uh, uh, we're, we're on the cusp of actually experiencing that, the hired hand turns and runs. The good shepherd stays and protects and fights because he's there for the sheep, not for himself. Turn to Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. David says something similar. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which by the way is a really poorly named valley. 
right? Like I, I bet housing is cheap there, the valley of shadow of death. He says, I, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now n- notice what David says, and, I, and I've made this point before, but I think it is so important. David says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil. Not why? Because the evil's not real? Because the evil's not there? Because it's just a figment of our imagination? No. He says, I, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay? So he, here's, what, here's what David's not saying, and here's what Jesus is not saying in his passage in John 10. He's not saying, one, there is no actual evil. So, so I, I will fear no evil because you've opened my eyes to see that the world is basically good and all of this talk of evil is just fear-mongering. It's meant to, to pit us against each other. It's not what he's saying. The evil is real. It is actually dangerous. It is actually scary. It is actually broken and dark and evil. That's real. He's also not saying that, that the shepherd is like a, a, a 911 call, right? That the shepherd is not like just the police showing up to, to protect in a moment and to solve this problem and to kind of stand in the gap and just create this, this moment of, of saving, right? Somebody's saying either that, that the good shepherd doesn't just show up, defeat the evil and then leave. He goes, no, no, no. I will fear no evil because you are with me. Always, all the time, you walk with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me in an ongoing present tense sense, okay? Not they. you show up and win the day and then take off like Superman. No, you are with me. You walk with me. I, I use this illustration all the time that my children get nightmares and they come downstairs while my wife and I are trying to just, you know, watch TV. And, uh, and, and they come down and they tell us about these nightmares and it's spiders and whatever. And, and they'll come down and go, I, will you just come cuddle with me? They just want our presence. Now, sometimes they make the foolish mistake of asking for Emily and not me. And it, I, honestly, I get offended by that because what is Emily going to do when there's real spiders? She's going to call me right? So when these kids come down, they want her to go. And I'm like, who's going to save you, save you from the monkeys? Not this lady. Okay. I mean, come on. Right. And so uh, this idea of like, the, they don't want, they're not trying to get me to come up and like fight something or, or eliminate some fear. They just want me with them. They just want me cuddling in bed with them. And the moment I try to leave, they're fearful again, not because the circumstances have changed. It's just my presence is going away. So David here goes, listen, I don't, I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I, I can walk through the worst of neighborhoods. I can walk through the hardest of times and I can do so not because you swoop in and protect me when the bad guys come, not because the evil's not real. It's just a dream. No, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The role of the shepherd isn't just to drive away danger and leave. It's his constant presence that gives the sheep peace. Jesus protects his sheep. Do you trust him? Do you trust him to do so? Or are you looking to hired hands 
who claim to be able to do something and be something that they can never be and can never do. Jesus has shown himself worthy and capable of actually protecting us from the real evil that exists in our world. Number three, Jesus died for his sheep. Turn back to John chapter 10. I want to reread verses 10 and 11. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Skip down to verse 14. Jesus again says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Just a quick aside on that, probably what Jesus is talking about here is the Gentiles, right? He's talking uh, thus far to a, an overwhelmingly Jewish audience. He goes, there's actually another flock that we're going to bring in together to make one flock with one shepherd, probably talking about the Gentiles, okay? Verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. Now, a couple things. Jesus uh, juxtaposes what, what the thief offers or what the thief's intent is with what his is. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He goes, but I have come to give them life and life more abundantly. This idea of abundant life. We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. This has this, what we call eschatological, like this future-oriented sense to it, like this eternal life. And we'll look at that in Psalm 23. But, but also this, this right now, everyday abundance, this restoration and righteousness that is for today. Right? So it's a today and tomorrow kind of thing, this abundant life that Jesus offers. Now, turn to Psalm 23, verse 5. David says, you prepare a table before me, you, my, my Lord and my shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So in Psalm 23, we see this same idea, right? This, this pairing of goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we've got the right now goodness and mercy, and we've got the forever, the eternal uh, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever right? Jesus dies to save our lives. The hired hands save their own lives at our expense. This is the, this is the juxtaposition. Jesus goes, listen, let's take a step back here. There is real evil. There are real thieves, real robbers, real wolves that are really trying to kill you, really trying to destroy you, really trying to steal from you. And you got a choice. You can trust and follow the hired hands who say they will protect you, but then leave the moment things get real. Or you can trust me who claims to be able to be able and willing and desire. In fact, he, he, he draws out in John 10, listen, I'm doing this of my own authority. No one's making me die, 
right? Like Herod and the Jews, the Pharisees that are going to make me die. They, they're not making me die. He goes, I, I of my own authority lay down my life and I pick it up again. Jesus dies for the sheep on purpose, intentionally, willingly, purposefully dies so that we might have life. He goes, it, I'm claiming to lead you into restoration and righteousness, that I will bring you mercy and goodness all the days of your life. And then if you'll follow me, I will lead you into eternity and eternally abundant life and to dwell in my house forever. This is the offer. This is the choice. Will you follow me? Again, 26 times in the gospels, this is the call of Jesus. Follow me. And just follow me. I, this is where I'm going. Goodness, mercy, restoration, righteousness. That's our destination. We're going on a road trip. That's where we're headed. We're not stopping until we get there. We may pass through valleys of shadow of death. We may pass through times of wealth and prosperity and safety and security and pleasure. We're going to pass through a bunch of things. But I'm just telling you where we're going is restoration and righteousness. It's mercy and goodness all of our days. That's the offer. It's very simple. And, and as always, Jesus' his message and his life is divisive. Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? It's the same argument they were having just a few chapters ago. People are like, he's a sinner. And the blind man goes, yeah, but I mean, can a sinner do this? I mean, that's, that's the question. Who is Jesus? He's either demonic and insane or he's the good shepherd. No one's ever like, yeah, that Jesus is a good dude. Like, that's never the thing. He's either demonic and insane or he's the good shepherd. He's the savior. He's the Messiah. He's not a lot of middle ground, which you know, I, I, anytime you, you make a statement like this, anytime you read this passage, I think there is a moral, uh, a, a moral necessity on my part to quote C.S. Lewis very famously saying, I'm trying here to prevent anyone this is from mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, which is I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. He goes, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg. It's a very British reference. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Right? This is the, the classic Lewis liar, lunatic, or Lord argument. And it comes right out of this passage. Where Jesus gets done going, listen, I'm the good shepherd and I'm offering you a path of righteousness and restoration, mercy and goodness and an eternal life with me. And people go, yeah, he's insane. He's, he's demonic and insane. And some people are like, that doesn't sound like a demonic, insane person. And this is the choice. This is the choice they had. It's the choice you have. Which is it? You know what he's offering. Will you follow him? Because the choice isn't follow him or not. The choice is who will you follow? 
I've already quoted the greatest Christian of our time. I will quote perhaps the second, Bob Dylan, who said famously, you're going to have to serve somebody. Maybe the devil and it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Everybody follows somebody. Say you follow yourself, you don't. You have not had an original thought in your life. You follow. We all follow. You may follow two or three people inconsistently, but you follow. So the question is, who will you follow? Where do they say they are leading you? Are they strong enough to get you there? Who are you actually following? As sheep, we wake up every morning and we decide, who am I going to follow today? Follow the one who has already demonstrated the links to which he would go to lead you into restoration and righteousness. The one who has already demonstrated his ability and his willingness to protect you from all evil. Follow the one who has laid down his life so that you might have life. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for your leadership. We, uh, we flail about grasping at, at potential leaders, potential saviors, people who claim that they can do what they cannot do. People who claim that they can give us what we think we want, but ultimately it's not what we need. God, I, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you are the good shepherd. That you would tune our ears the way the sheep's ears are tuned to the voice of their shepherd, that you would tune our ears to hear your voice so that when you call to us and say, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me into restoration, follow me into righteousness, follow me into my house forever, that we would hear your voice, that we would recognize your goodness, that we would recognize the truthfulness of your word, and that we would wake up every morning and choose to follow you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as always, we're going to transition into a time of response. We do this in a few different ways each week. We're going to sing together, worshiping our great God and Savior, singing praises and, and, and honor to the Good Shepherd. Um, we're going to give during this time. And this is something that Christians do uh, because of God's generosity with us. We want to be generous people. Um, we're also going to take communion. We do communion every single week at Icon because we just never cease to need to be reminded of what Christ did for us. And so today, as we partake, we take the bread and the wine or the juice. Let's remember the kind of leader our leader is, the kind of shepherd Jesus claims to be the kind of shepherd that doesn't just go, Hey, you should go that way. I'll meet you there, right? Like that, that's the right direction. And he doesn't just lead us to that. And then maybe bail when things get hard or he's, he's, he comes to us face to face, beckons us to follow him, walks with us every step of the way comforts us as our rod and our and his rod and his staff comforts us walks with us protects us and he delivers us safely home to be in his house forever that the kind of crucial moment of that 
is when he died on the cross, demonstrating his great, unending, undying love for us. And on the third day, being raised again, demonstrating his power to actually accomplish what he claims to accomplish. That's the kind of leader we need. One that loves us enough to walk with us, but is strong enough to get us where we need to go. So before we do any of that, we're going to take a moment in silent reflection. So that we're going to take a, a, a one minute, to close your eyes, to reflect, to think, to pray, to meditate about what we've heard today. Let's do that together.